You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and back by popular demand, I have two of my favorite people back for week two because last week I had someone set up, but they didn't show. It was sad for me. But joining me again today is your favorite libertarian kitchen witch, Miss Jessica Green, and the dent in the world, Mr. Warren Dent. How are you guys doing? Hello. <laughs> doing great. Very busy. Uh, you know, it's it's Cyber Week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Black Friday was good for you. It was. Um, it's It's been a good, you know, weekend all around, uh, all the way into uh, Monday and today, in fact. Awesome. Uh, did you engage in, in any civil disobedience this Thanksgiving by having people over at your house? Uh, so my wife has a large family. Um, well, and exactly. Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and estimate that there was, pro- there was probably about 47 or 48 people somewhere around there. I kind of did the math on it and we came up with a, roughly that figure. So keep in mind, you know, so, well, I have eight kids. So yeah. when my family shows up, there's 10 and her parents had six kids and some of them had four kids. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were we were pushing, you know, at, at least that many. And I don't even know what, you know, the rules were, to tell you the truth. Um, I'm sure that it was some kind of like under 10 thing, but yeah. nobody cared. I mean, not one person wore a mask. Well, I'm I'm in Florida, so n- there's no rules. No, you don't have any <laughs> rules any longer. You did have rules for a little while, right? Uh-oh. No, that's the same in Georgia. Uh-oh. Dent's frozen. <laughs> frozen dent. <laughs> I know. You know my theory about the frozen faces, right? The frozen faces? Yeah. So if your screen freezes or if you pause at any point, that's the face the person makes when they're doing a number two. So (laughs) next time someone's face freezes, that's their number two face. Am I okay now? It's moving on my end. Yes, we can see you now. (laughs) Yes, we're not seeing your poop face anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But you guys will think of that the next time you pause something and someone's making a funny face. You'll know. I I thought for sure you were going to say O face. (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought that's where this ends. That's where we're going. It, it turns out I'm even more depraved than that. So <laughs> yeah. now we had we had a big Thanksgiving too, and there was a a nurse who works in a COVID ward who came to our Thanksgiving. So I felt as though if she didn't feel like it was a big deal, I probably shouldn't either. Yeah, and, and I don't think anyone should think it's a big deal. And the only reason I don't think y'all should be in Gitmo right now is because you didn't sign orders and tell tell people to stay home. Before you did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that that's taking off. I love that that's something that people are like, oh, oh, you mean throw the governors and get Mo? I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't find anything to oppose there necessarily. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they're well taken care of at Gitmo. I mean, our government wouldn't, you know. Never. 
Yeah, I mean, never, even Obama <laughs> kept it open. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and he great. campaigned to close it. That's right. He campaigned <laughs> to close it. He kept it open the whole time. So it must be awesome. So it's been an interesting year, obviously. We're getting close to the end of it. And one of the things that keeps showing up on my feed, in live, in uh, group chats, in everywhere, it seems, is this extreme doomerism that people are dealing with. And it's it's one of those things that I think Jessica probably could deal with it better than I can because I think she has more of a a uh, compassion for these people. <laughs> and it's like I it's not that I don't suffer with these people, but I can't handle it. And and I wonder what you guys think about the black pill because you know we we end up talking about pills a lot because it's a shorthand for these things. But I am not blackpilled, and that's very strongly a choice because it's very easy to go down that road. And so I'm curious, have you had people recently just go in that deep darkness? And how, how do you deal with that? Um, interestingly enough, and so in my personal life, uh, I would say that a couple of family members are pretty doom and gloom. And, you know, their main concern is coming lockdowns, you know, the, the yeah. economy, um, losing all of their freedoms. And even if they're not like, you know, big Trump fans, uh, they will point out that they know that Trump at least didn't from a you know federal level, like shut everybody down and lock everybody inside. And what they clearly heard Joe Biden say, and they believe that he'll stick with it, is that, oh, I'll listen to the scientists. I'll put you... I will put you inside um, yeah. and make you stay there. So I do have a few close family members in real life that on that level are pretty doomer. Um, yeah. You know, on a, on a personal level, when I look at those things, uh, I'm the guy that we talked about this a little bit last time, but I used to go out minimally once a week, but typically three times a week. I would go out once with my wife. Uh, my uncle, who is just a few years older than me, we grew up, it's kind of like he's my big brother. Uh, we would go see a movie and go to an Asian buffet every week. And then I normally would take out one of my kids just to have some yeah. dad time. Yeah. And so like my wife and I, we always love going out for steaks and things. I've got an awesome steak grill showing up here this week that I invested in knowing full well that it's going to be so long before I can go to a steakhouse before they make me feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting in the ER waiting on my diagnosis. Um, yeah. And so we've already got the ribeyes uh, in the fridge ready to go. Uh, the steak's going to, uh, the grill is going to be here any day now. And that was one of the things that I thought about was like, well, we love steaks. We love spending time together. We'll, we'll cook them ourselves, but I wanted it to be high quality. Like when we go out, and so I'm already looking at replacing some of those things because of the experience, right? Yeah. I mean, outside of my home, everything to me is entertainment or church. And so yeah. if I can make, if I can delete those things and entertain myself by cooking steaks at my house and doing uh, things like that, mm -hmm. I have no problem just letting that stuff fall by, uh, by the wayside. We do wear masks uh, to church every week. It is annoying. Yeah. It came down to the choice between watching it live streamed over YouTube or something like that uh, or showing up in person. And we did go ahead and make the choice when they reopened. Yes, we will attend. 
um, which is kind of ridiculous because I actually I wear a mask until I sit down and then I just take it off and nobody yeah. says anything. And then before I leave, I do it again because I'm going to be walking through, you know, old folks that are probably scared out of their minds uh, that are out there, you know, in, in the uh, foyer. Um, and I don't want to freak anybody out. So I will wear it on the way out and then I'm done. So that's my mask yeah. wearing for the week. So on a, on a personal level, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I guess I'm pretty white pilled, you know, as far as, um, I think long-term that there's hope, but I think in the short term, you just have to figure out how to maximize your fun. And that's why I bought a steak grill. <laughs> okay. So before we move forward, I have to tell you, I used to love going to steakhouses until I learned how to make a steak. Yeah. And so here's here's what you need to do. The steak grill is good. First off, is it charcoal? No, it's the Auto Wild. It's the 1500 degree broiler grill. Oh, wow. Yeah. One thing that I, game changer, when it came to making steak at home, was buying a sous vide. Right, I've looked into those. Um, so what's Amazing. interesting? What's interesting about this grill is um, uh, some people who will listen to this will uh, probably think I'm a bit of a pleb for saying it. But years ago, a friend of mine said the best steak in the world is Peter Luger's in New York. Um, so we went there, and to me, it was the best steak that I had ever had in the world. I've since been back at least once with another friend that needed to experience after I told him about it. So it turns out that they're using these 1500 degree broilers uh, or they're called salamanders. Um, and this auto wild guy, this German engineering type. They do know how to broil things. Yes. Yeah, so Peter Luger's <laughs> you know, German Man, legacy. But on. this this guy shows up and, and he he eats one of their steaks, too. So it turns out that he actually based designing his entire grill over eating the same steak that I had eaten years ago. So I thought that hmm. was interesting. Yeah. Um, it's very, very quick, dude. 1500 degrees. You know, I'm going to start them at room temperature, a one inch thick ribeye. You're probably going to cook for about 60 seconds on each side, right mm -hmm. under the broiler. Then you're going to move it down to the lowest level at a lower temperature for maybe two minutes, take it off and let it sit for a few minutes and just cut and go. So it's very, very quick and very efficient, but it puts that crust on it, especially if you salt it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You definitely have to salt it good. If, oh, yeah. if, if if you're putting it to room temperature, the, the kosher salt has to go on there immediately. Yes. And just soak in. Because, I mean, all you need for a good steak, because this is what this show's about, is salt, pepper, and I like butter. I like I have a butter, butter in mine, too. Yeah. Um. So for those who can't afford the, the steak grill, buy a, a sous vide. Do what he said. Get your, your, your steak to room temperature, salt the devil out of it, pepper it. If you want garlic, yep. cut up some garlic, put some fresh stuff mm -hmm. in there. Don't do that that powder crap. Don't do it. But take that, put it in some butter in that bag, let it sit in that sous vide for 45 minutes, yep. and then just throw the char on top. I'm telling you. What do you do? You I'm bring it up you. to about, what is it, like 135 for like a medium rare? Isn't that? I forget what it is. I think it's about 130-ish. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a little, a little space there for you to, to sear it. Yes. But, uh, let me tell you, I did that and I did reverse searing and I will recommend that sous vide all day because it takes a bath in butter for like an hour before you even start, before you even throw it on the grill. Wow. And 
that's why every time I go to a steakhouse now, I'm like, oh, I can do better than this. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I want to know what, what the kitchen witch has to say about cooking steaks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, you know, call me old school, but I like to put it on a charcoal grill outside. Oh, I, I finish yeah. on the charcoal. Yeah. I don't know. I have the, the sous vide. Um, my friend has it and he swears by it. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something strange to me about the like the sealing it in a bag and then cooking it in water. Very suspicious of plastic being cooked next <laughs> to food. So that's my mm. own little paranoia. So that might not be something I would try. But at the same time, I put my steaks on a charcoal grill, which I'm sure is equally carcinogenic to uh, <laughs> any kind of like long chain polymers that might come off the the plastic bag or whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah, just pick your poison. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. It has a beautiful butter barrier between it and, and the, uh, <laughs> the, the BPAs. So you're good. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I am sure that's how that works. Trust yeah, the science. Trust, trust the man. With those the were a lot of big words, and I trust the science. So, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> so, how do you feel about the black pill and the doomers, Jessica? Because I struggle. Like I said, I think you probably yeah. are better than I am because I am a man. I don't. I don't and know. I just push I, it I, out, I, man. I feel like I struggle too. So, you know, I I know that it's important to put a a brave face on sometimes even though you're not always feeling like you're, you know, sometimes that black pill sneaks in there and you have yeah. to remember, I think perspective goes a long way because we're actually doing better as a human species than we've ever done in the history of time. Yes. We have the best stuff, we're the most comfortable, more of us are fed. Um, you know, our populations are booming and they're booming because we have the resources to, uh, have this many people. So I, I don't see anything but positives when I really step back from what might seem like really focused in politics and stuff like that, that the wheel yeah. turns, it's going to turn in four years. I mean, Joe Biden is probably not going to be alive in four years. And I don't, I don't mean to laugh when I say that. I don't think that it's funny that he'll yeah. die. I just think that if you step back, you'll understand that Joe Biden is not going to affect our reality forever in that way. And, you know, what we what we do in our immediate communities is more affecting our lives than what, you know, might be going on in politics. As far as the lockdowns go, personally, I live in Georgia. We didn't have really insane lockdowns. We had, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. And then everything pretty much opened back up. Yeah, some businesses want you to wear masks. And I'm fine to do that because they're asking me to. But otherwise, like, my life hasn't changed very much. And I think that's why maybe I, I'm privileged in that way. And I don't mean to say, like, I'm a bad guy because of it. Privileges used to mean something you were happy about. It was good. It was a good yeah. thing to have privileges. And I am privileged in the sense that my governor hasn't locked down our state. So we're, you know, I'm, I haven't experienced a lot of the psychological effects that maybe someone in California, my, my dad lives in California and he sends us texts about, man, I've been working from home for so long. I feel like I don't know what's going on in the world, like things like that. I mean, there's major cabin fever and stuff like that that comes with that kind of like lockdown mentality. So that ends when the citizens end it. And so they have to like decide that they're going to break out of their homes. And, yeah. you know, 
<laughs> the lockdowns end when we decide they end. When we yeah. decide they end. Yeah. So I I think that we see that all over the place. People resisting the lockdowns. You know, they there are restaurateurs who are opening their doors and yeah, they get arrested and they get taken to jail and that and we all see that. We feel that's deeply unfair and the wheel yeah. turns and things are affected by that. So I I see positives. I don't see this kind of like lockdown thing going on forever. I don't I don't think people are going to be willing to put up with it for very much longer. So, you know, even that, it's like, yeah, I know that people are scared, but I I have hope. I have a lot of hope because I see people resisting it and that's what will really what will really end it. There's way more of us than there are of them. Yeah. Well, it's like I think some of the most heartwarming things that I've seen lately when it comes to the lockdowns, specifically when it with the kind of black pill doomer mindset. Um, is in New York, I heard of two stories, one of them being a pub in New York um, called themselves an autonomous zone, like they did in Chaz or Chop or whatever. Nice, I like that. That's great. <laughs> That's and great. It's, 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 this, it's this kind of em- embracing of secession in a sense that you don't see. Yeah, we haven't seen that in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so that's very promising. The other thing yep. which made me so happy, and I tried to find the video afterwards, but I couldn't. I found a video of a restaurant in New York's, I don't know if it was in New York City or New York State, I'm not sure where, but it was in New York. And it was, it had, you, they, the video started with them looking at the clock and it was like 10.02. And there was a whole group of people maskless in this restaurant in New York chanting together, Fuck you, Cuomo. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> like, like that. That is so good. It's so. And there, I, I just feel like, because when I was about eighteen, when I started college, that's also around the time I first started hearing about um, libertarianism, and you know, through like what Ronald Reagan kind of called himself a libertarian, and. Uh, a friend of mine was a big Glenn Beck fan, fan so he was a libertarian. And um, I remember also at that point in my life being very cynical and kind of embracing cynicism is not a bad thing. Like, it's, this is something that's needed. I, you know, it's good to be mm-hmm. jaded against the rest of humanity. Yeah. I, I thought that I was being a realist by being a cynic. And so since that point in my life, like that was so destructive for such a long period of time that I decided against it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cynicism is not something that can exist within my worldview whatsoever. And it's it's rampant right now in a lot of people. And so like, I, since I have this very anti-cynical worldview, like I want to, I want to destroy it, I will get in arguments with people that I love who are being cynical or even saying that they're cynical because I'm like, I can't let you go down that road. But then I've been in different places talking to different people and then they just insist on continuing that. And I'm just like, well, we're not gonna talk for today. I'm sorry, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Because if you drag me into the darkness that I'm trying to fight away from, I will physically fight you. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And it's, t- it's tough to sustain it. But like you said, it's tough to, you can't just dip your toe in it and then just get out of it either. Um, yeah, because you're almost you're almost playing along with them and you're doing it, it, it in such a negative fashion that 
you know, like everything in me is just saying, I have to get away from this person. I have to get away from this person. I can't continue to act like I want to talk like this. I can't do it. And I fight it up to a point. It's like, you know, because if you open your eyes, like to what Jessica was talking about, about how we're living in the apex of humanity in a sense at this, at this moment, if you look at how right now the corporate press with uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Project Veritas. What's that dude's name? James O'Keefe. James James O'Keefe recorded their calls and you heard them quaking in their boots. And then, their PR person, uh, uh, I think, replied to one of his, to the video that he live streamed of them finding out that he had been recording them for a couple of months. They replied, we believe this is a, uh, our experts have said this is a felony and we're yes. going to be turning this over to the. So it's yes. like they want to jail him. Yes. So they're afraid of what he may have gotten. They don't, they may not know what it is. But they're afraid. But they're afraid. And yeah. that is so good. Mm-hmm. That's right. a good thing. If the press was real, they would be clamoring to hire James O'Keefe not to silence him. Right. They would want Absolutely. him on their team exposing as many things as they could. Even as one-sided as he is, which doesn't bother me because one-sided is still a fraction of 1% of the power of the media. Um, yeah. But I love that guy. He's my hero. I, I just think he's fantastic. And in the world of journalism, he's like one of the only real ones. But he is such a red pill, I think, for so many people who realize, wait a minute, CNN believes it's their job to stop information. It makes it really obvious. If they'd used the word narrative, what they were describing was this is the narrative we are going with. This is what we want to the America because it's it's not news. It's Mm -hmm. not explaining to the people what's going on. It's not showing people what's happening. It's a narrative. I mean, they took Michael Malice's definition of the black pill, I mean, sorry, of the red pill, and showed that they do that. That it's a carefully constructive narr- narrative mm-hmm. to keep some very nefarious people in power. Yes. They showed it. Will people take the red pill on this? Probably not a lot, let's be honest. But the fact that they're scared is the takeaway. Right. Uh, and they, they don't act like people who are winning. <laughs> no. No, yeah. they don't. Yeah, and... They so often fall into their own traps. It's not as, you know, it's not as though it takes someone like James O'Keefe to set them up. You have people like Glenn Greenwald with the, Glenn Greenwald, excuse me, with the Intercept. uh, Basically, uh, formerly of the Intercept, basically a paper that was set up, calling it a paper, but it's a website that is set up with the intent of being this alternative to, you know, the narrative driven mainstream media. And what they do as soon as, Glenn becomes a problem with them fitting into that narrative driven mainstream media is that they force him out. You know, I, yes, of course he left, but he left because he was not able to do journalism in the way that it's supposed to be done. And so, you know, Glenn didn't do that. They did that. And they, it's like so often they're uh, laying the trap for themselves. They make it obvious that they're doing it. They don't hide it. Well, and not to mention that right now with social media, with YouTube, with BitChute, with all of the different platforms that you can use to, you can take your, like we talked about with um, Waco or the Bundy Ranch last week. Mm -hmm. If you have a phone and can live stream, that is something that they can't control because the raw footage 
of the Covington Catholic kids with the the Native American man is mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. It can be debunked immediately. So we are at a, at a point where they don't have the same hegemony that they always did. And so, so there is that, but there's also the idea that we're living in this reality where two people can watch a video yes. and see something completely different. So we're <laughs> yes. living in two like movies this, on the same yeah, yeah. fractured realities where if your political leanings go one way, you see one version of events and if they go the other way, you see the other version. And so I'm not sure that, you know, how effective can that be when, you know, the show that you see depends on your political leaning. Yep. Right. When people. Sure. So so roughly half the people see uh, a, a leftist style of government being the solution to the problem they see in the screen. And the other half sees some kind of right wing solution to the problem mm-hmm. that they see on the screen. Either way, they believe that a that the power of government is there to solve the problem. So the real thing that you want to break people away from is thinking about either deleting themselves from these situations or solving their own problems rather than running to the government and saying, hey, you're my senator. You're supposed to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Imagine thinking that <laughs> like, oh, these people will like that is one of the things that like one of my my new things is telling Joe Biden to fuck off at least once every day. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. As is your right. <laughs> one of the things that I hate so much is when he and uh, Kamala Harris get on Twitter and like Kamala Harris goes with the, I think about you every morning. And um, Joe Biden goes with the, don't worry, help is on the way. And I'm like, oh, I hate you people so much. (laughs) Because the first time they tweeted that, you know, me and me and Joe Biden will think about you every morning. I'm like, or you're always in our thoughts. I'm like, are you grabbing the tissues right now? Where's your, like, where's your lotion, you sociopath? It, you know, it's probably a program tweet also to be posted at a certain time. Um, you know what I mean? Like, they're probably sitting there yeah. throughout the day loading up tweets. This one will come out at 4 p.m. This will come out at 6.30, things like that. Oh, yeah. And there's not there's never been a tweet that Joe Biden has written. Right. Yeah. No, Joe Biden doesn't. No something doesn't cross his mind and he goes, oh, I got to tweet that out. I just hate that nanny state will take care of you. I'll be your daddy. like it but to the white pill point in that post there were hundreds of pictures of waco burning and people basically (laughs) so it's like yeah he says that and there's a certain percentage of people that are really like oh thank god joe biden's coming to help us (laughs) you poor fucking fool but if you even bother to open the comments and read you will like i made a comment on that thread about the tuskegee tuskegee experiment so it's like, yeah. you know, a person could wander along and be like, what's the Tuskegee experiment? And then True. they Google that and they're like, oh, shit, I will never accept that help or a vaccination from the government ever. Yeah. So yeah. go Google the Tuskegee experiment if you're all gung ho about the vaccination, by the way, because that's something you ought to know about. Sorry if I screamed in your ear. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm <laughs> fixing. I'm, I'm going to be constantly adjusting these earbuds from my weird ears that don't like earbuds. <laughs> I get I get a little uh, emphatic and excited when I'm trying to warn people, never, never take a vaccination from the government, ever. Right. <laughs> Especially one that is a an mRNA vaccination that allegedly tries to change your, uh, your the structure of your DNA. Right. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Fuck that. What could yeah. go wrong? <laughs> Yeah. Ooh. Uh, 
it's it's amazing. I won't be taking it. I mean, that's all I know. Yeah, there's there's just no. And then that's what's so funny is like you see different people talking about, will you take it? You know, they're talking about what was it that I saw the other day? They're talking about doing vaccine passports. So you have to have that marked on your passport, whether or not you've been vaccinated so that you can travel. Sure. And I'm just like. So that 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 border wall they talked about was to keep us in this whole time. That's what that's what it, that's what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you do business with the government, that's what happens. The rules come. There's both an episode of Star Trek and an episode of uh, Stargate where an alien race uh, comes down from space and gives you a vaccine to a disease that's killing your people, and then it turns out that the vaccine sterilizes you. Bill Gates wouldn't want that at all. No. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but it's really pretty interesting that that theme or that trope is so present in our science fiction, which has this interesting way of making itself into reality. I just think that's interesting. And that's what's interesting because there's a lot of stuff like we talked about this a, a little bit after we got off of the last episode. But if you take a look at the policies of the left, if you take a look at the things they push and encourage there's always this very Malthusian anti-human quality to these things where it's like, do I hate gay or trans people? In no way do I hate them. But when they push these things on our children, it very much shows a lack of desire to keep the species going the way that it has been going. They, they want less babies. Mm. And, you know, when you mm-hmm. mix in the vaccine and the, you know, the science fiction trope of the vaccine that sterilizes, it's just all of these se- things seem to line up so perfectly to that line of thought. And I feel like I'm crazy, but I feel like everything the left does is it just has a little bit of the, uh, the old let's let's kill some humans or not let them be born deal. Right. Well, even even a guy like Bill Gates. Right. I mean, Bill Gates is on the record for depopulation. And uh, Mm -hmm. what has the corporate press done? They have made him the spokesman for a movement. They have made him the authority on what you should be taking. And what is he Mm -hmm. telling you that you'll have a normal life when you take this vaccine? And and what was the name of that guy that Biden was putting on his team? Uh, Emmanuel or something was the one who wrote an op-ed. He put this doctor, doc, I'll have to look it up, but he put this doctor on his COVID team or wanted to, and it was a guy who in 2014 wrote an op-ed about how it's immoral to live past 75, essentially. Yes. <laughs> so, he, or he yes. questions oh, wow. the ethics of living past 75. And we and it's like, yeah, put him on the COVID, the, the, the old boomer remover uh, council. He's a great pick. There are a lot of people like that who, well, they they push the idea of overpopulation, too. And whenever you ask them which of the population should, you know, be called, (laughs) you know, it's it's they want the the poorest Mm -hmm. of the people or the people they view as disadvantaged or less than or for whatever reason. It's never, you know, quite the wealthy, educated elite types who are lining up for this human calling that they're uh saying needs to happen also personally i think that if the people exist it's because we've created the resources for them to exist so there is no such thing as overpopulation because those people wouldn't exist if the resources weren't there and we generate those they don't just appear in nature they are made with our hands the the poverty is the state of nature 
not living past 35 is the state of nature. Everything else beyond that, including most of the population, exists because we do shit like pull oil out of the rocks. And, uh, you know, we could have a little more appreciation for, like, the, the vast capital wealth that our ancestors have left to us. Just to kind of throw it back at that white pill thing. <laughs> but I mean, but that's the thing. If you actually look, the greatest resource that the earth has is the human mind. It's human beings. It's mm-hmm. these people who see, who, who like to look at Genesis, who see something in nothing and create something out of it and pull and draw mm-hmm. it out of the nothingness. Of course, there is something to draw it out of. But you, you understand my point. You don't see oil and just happen upon gasoline you know you don't happen upon plastic Mm -hmm. you you think i mean there are so like i said i've said this a lot of times i'm glad you you said it but overpopulation is an absolute myth yes there are some places on this planet typically big cities that have too many people in them and those are usually the people who are talking about overpopulation are the ones who choose to live in big cities that are overpopulated right there are poor distributions of resources, but the population couldn't exist without the resources. It's like when uh, mankind happened upon agriculture, uh, the population exploded. It's not as though the population exploded and they thought, oh, shit, we got to figure out how to feed all these people. No, the food came and then yeah. the people came. And that's still the case. That We still live in nature. This is still the jungle. It's just that we've constructed a lot of, uh, like I said, vast capital wealth that's supporting. I was talking to my wife the other day, and I forget what it was, but she had said something about something not being natural. And I was like, well, you know, it's a human creation, so it is natural. And she was like, Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, because you don't get it, it came out of the natural state of man, which is to create, which is to, to, you know, innovate, to make big things, to, to make life better, to feed people, to, and so there isn't something that has been created in my opinion at this point, my opinion is always open to change, but everything we've done is natural because we've done it. It's a natural outpouring. It's a, it's an outpouring of nature. So I, I, there are a lot of arguments like, yeah, there's some things we've created that are very bad. Like uh, nuclear weapons, even though it's in my intro because it looks cool. Um, <laughs> there are bad things that have been created, but to call these different things completely unnatural and it shouldn't happen or it shouldn't exist is just bizarre to me that that would be a point right. made. Am I crazy in that? No, no I think the big point all. is, is it good? You know, like a lot of uh, obviously most healthcare advances yeah. are good. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there are then there are lines where you could say, OK, well, then what about eugenics? Um, and our generation would say no. But two generations from now, they might be saying we need eugenics and we're totally fine with it. And then they're going to cross. They're going to cross that line. You know, there, there's a line to cross with everything, like you said. So yeah. you could have a gun to defend your home or you could have a nuclear weapon and you could kill you know, millions of people in an instant. Um, there's a line with all of this stuff. So the question is always, is it good? Uh, the problem is, is like you kind of demonstrated a few minutes ago, there's something about the left that they lean towards less human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. And like Jessica mm-hmm. said, it never happens to yeah. be them. Uh, they, they never, <laughs> they never happen to be the target. Okay. Uh, but you look at all of the policies that these people put forth 
And at best, it has no respect mm-hmm. for life. Like the guy that said, people Correct. really shouldn't live past 75. There's, there's, there's a screw loose in that guy that somewhere along the way, he decided that maybe people shouldn't live past a certain point. Um, but there's a whole thing from that uh, side, from, from the left, that somehow believes that we are a problem and that there should be less of us. Like, leave it to human beings to be the only thing on the planet that tries to sell the idea that it should terminate yeah. itself. Right. <laughs> Don't get it. And I think that's interesting to say that people who are older than 70, you know, 75, 75, I mean, honestly, the human animal is living longer and longer because of our medical advancements. Joe Biden is like, what, 79? That's what I was a just about to say. Joe Biden's like 78. Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut, who, you know, I have great respect for Kurt Vonnegut. So, so Kurt Vonnegut lived to be 98, 98 years old, and he only died because he fell and hit his head. He otherwise might have lived longer. And that wow. man definitely wrote books past the age of 75. So it's like, okay, you just extinguish some of Kurt Vonnegut's work off of the earth because you think he's too old to live. Way to go, asshole. I, I have two fun facts. They're not that fun. <laughs> um, so uh, my grandfather's home on Cape Cod, when he passed a few years ago, was sold to Edie Vonnegut. So she actually does her art in his old garage that we grew up doing woodworking with our grandfather. Uh, it's That's in, it's cool. In, it's in the middle of Cape Cod. It's a little town called Cummaquid, uh Mass. And um, but the the other that thing sounds that's like weird, a Massachusetts. Yeah, Cummaquid, Yeah. Um, but the the weird thing that that made me say wow when you said that was that my grandfather at ninety six years old, perfectly healthy still cut his own grass, drove to the post office every day to get his mail so that he would have something to do. Cooked for himself, lived alone, had several cats. The dude was healthy. In fact, the last time I had seen him, his son was repairing his shower and my grandfather was crawling down into his stone basement. The guy lived, you know, I mean, that house is probably you know, 200, 220 years old. He was going down in it on a ladder and coming back out. He fell at 96 years old. Mm. And the problem was, is they said, if we do the surgery, he's having a very slow brain bleed. If we mm. do the surgery, that will do more damage. Yeah. But he is going to, he's going to slowly and then quickly fade away. And he did. He only made it a few more weeks. So that's, that was my wow moment is that I didn't know, I didn't know that that's how Kurt Vonnegut had died and that's yeah. how my grandfather died perfectly healthy at 96 and then uh, his house was sold to Kurt Vonnegut's daughter so anyway that's wild yeah, yeah it's kind of weird that's but um yeah. falls are a very common cause of death with the elderly it's not something a lot of people mention but you know when you fall and you're older you don't you don't repair the same and so broken bones that's and- essentially what happened to my dad yeah i mean he wasn't that old but it was a hip replacement that did him yeah work. that's it's very common that you'll fall and then you just can't survive the the recovery yeah yep. but um <laughs> this is supposed to be a white pill episode <laughs> what the, the the point of it was is that kurt vonnegut wrote books past the age of 75 and so to strike him off of the earth for uh the purposes of making room and you have to be okay 
like I'm going to construct my own little tri-corner tinfoil hat here. But I noticed in the states where nursing homes were an issue, there are a lot of people who subsist on the state dole there. And it does clear their roles to have um, a significant number of old people sort of fall off the earth. And I, you know, it's very, it seems very intentional to me. And I know a lot of people point a finger at me and says, we can't prove that Como intended to kill elderly people by sending COVID patients into nursing homes. But it certainly does make a lot of financial sense for them to do it. If we can't prove it, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the result. <laughs> I know the state, and, and, you know, if they were going to do it, what would it look like? I don't think you could make it look any more like that if you tried to. Right. Like, there wasn't even an attempt to cover up that that's what they were doing. Well, Right. So personally, I think that those those people were executed because they were taking state and money. And I think that that's an interesting point, and it actually reminded me of what I was going to say earlier. But you know, if you talk about Hitler to any extent about because people are like, well, you know, he did do good things for Germany, and people will say, you know, he he mm -hmm. helped fix their economy, and it was like, yeah, because he he killed the old people, he he killed the infirmed. It was a eugenic. He got rid of the things that brought them down. Yep. And so it's a very similar mindset. I've, I said it the other, I think last time we talked, you know, the, the elites have always had a hard on for fascism, especially economic fascism. But you had said earlier that eugenics is frowned upon in our society. And I would say that is true, but that's purely because of Adolf Hitler. If, if Hitler had <laughs> not done what he he did, then we would not be having the same conversation about eugenics today as we were before, because Margaret Sanger was a eugen was into eugenics. I mean, all, the, there were there were tons of people who are very George Bernard Shaw, who is quoted by every uh, semi educated leftist out there was a huge yep. eugenicist. He thought you had to go before a council every 11 years and prove why you were worthwhile to society. So, yeah, that was you're right. That's a very popular idea, especially in the turn I, I of the century. Think, I think that Hitler and the Third Reich changed the conversation on eugenics, at least by name. I read a long article. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was in the Atlantic, maybe the other day. And I don't know if you've looked into this whatsoever, but in um, I don't know if it I think it may have been Denmark. It's one of the Nordic countries, I believe. But they they like. They give um, genetic tests to every mother, not just ones 35 and older. You know, they, they give it to every mother and they 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 check to see if there's Down syndrome. And like 95 percent of Down syndrome babies are aborted in that country. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there being an article that pr promoted uh, the idea that they had done this great thing that they had gotten. Right. And it's one of those things that it's so prevalent there. And it's not called eugenics. They don't call it that. They don't they don't talk about sex selection like, you know, I mean, look at look at China, for God's sake. That's a eugenicist like, well, not, probably not their favorite thing because it was sex selective. But this kind of thing exists in our world right now, and it exists under different names and different vernacular. And I think that once they find the way to talk about it in such a way that people will accept it, it'll be a that 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 is happening. 
And I think it's disturbing. And it, it just kind of go, went to that point that, you know, so many leftist policies are anti-human. It's it's just, it's given under the guise of reducing suffering. Yes. That's always the pretense. We're going to reduce suffering. But then I, I don't know if you guys remember maybe two or three years ago, I, maybe longer than that, a young man with Down syndrome actually spoke before Congress hmm. and brought up the fact that these babies were being aborted in mass numbers. Yes. And he said, why, you know, and he's, you know, for somebody with an extra chromosome, he's there giving a speech before Congress and asking clearly as a sentient being, why am I not allowed to live? And that really rocked me to my core. I was a pro-choice person at that point. And that was something that definitely called my beliefs into question. And is it real? Are you really re reducing suffering? Because you're saying that because this young man exists in a way that you don't view as someone who can maybe climb the ladder of success or has a different life path or will cause the parents to have a different life path than originally intended, that they should simply be removed from existence. And I have friends who have had children who have Down syndrome and their lives are magnified in ways that they never thought possible by the presence of this child. So, you know, to say that you're the arbiter of what is good and what is suffering and what should be good for humanity, it should be called into question when that humanity is staring you in the face and saying, I deserve a chance at life and I'm a person. And yeah, it, that's a horrible, horrible tragedy. And, and not to mention that a lot of these mindsets and a lot of these attitudes about Down syndrome kids come from the time period. I think it ended probably in the 70s where mm -hmm. when you had a kid with Down syndrome, there, there wasn't the place to teach them in specialized ways. Mm -hmm. They didn't, mm -hmm. they, ne they almost never learned how to read. They almost all learn how to read right. now. You have all of these, these uh, great, huge, you know, innovations. The outcomes are so different right. now. Back then they would send them to a house where they would be taken care of their whole life. And when I say taken care of, I have to use air quotes because they didn't get taken care of. There were videos, I think out of, um, was it New Jersey? Um, the, oh, what was, what was the, there's, there's a, an urban legend about a guy who came out of it, but they took a video camera into some of these places and these people were left unattended and un uncleaned, mm -hmm. unwashed. Mm -hmm. And so yep. this is the mindset that a lot of these decisions were made in in the past and why mm -hmm. they, they led to the, the genetic testing and the abortions for these people. And that's not, that's not the case anymore. But it's also why those state-run institutions were shut down yeah. because these places that were meant to be houses that helped people, reduced the suffering of people who, you know, were mentally infirm were actually these horrible torture chambers where people were left to fester in their own, you know, I don't want to get too graphic here, but like the reason that these places were shut down were not budgetary concerns necessarily. It's that videos and things yeah. of that nature, stories about what occurred in these places were starting to come out. And, you know, unfortunately the solution was just shut all the places down and release the people into the streets. And, you know, we are kind of dealing with some of the fallout from that decision now when yeah. we have this like massive homeless problem. So we're still reaping the evil from that institution and that that method of doing things. 
is still affecting us now. Not to mention the how the government, even before the coronavirus thing, told people that they couldn't give food to the homeless, couldn't give shelter yep. to the homeless. And it's it, like my mom, I, I talked about her last time. She She does a ministry for women who have had abortions in the past. And she found out, I think last week, that they will no longer allow her to bring in homemade food to feed these girls when they do these classes because of the coronavirus. And so they actually have to order it in, which is not something they planned for. And so they, they're having to go, hey, we need resources. It's like 30, she's like $37 to get everyone fed in one night. But because of the government and bec- you know what they did with homeless before that and what they're doing with coronavirus now, it's saying, no, you can't do that. You can't help people. Stay in your houses and we'll help you. Like, what are the odds that happens? Power at all costs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's just power at all costs. Yeah, including human life. Especially in third world countries. Yeah, you're talking about the, the nature of uh, things like abortion also. And one of the things that's so horrifying to me is how many seemingly reasonable people, uh, the moment that they find out that there is an unplanned pregnancy, uh, they instantly say, well, nobody would want it anyway. So in other words, you should snuff out a life because I have deemed it to be unwanted in this one moment in time. And then when you look around and you go, wait a minute, I'm a mistake. You're a mistake. You're a mistake. Everybody's right. a mistake. You know, I mean, it's, it's very definitely few. Definitely a mistake. <laughs> right. A very few people are like planned. planned out. And, and But think about that. How There's this enormous... There's this enormous percentage of the population uh, here, I think, probably primarily in the West, that is willing to just instantly make that argument. Um, Oh, well, nobody, you know, it's terrible because the the child would be unwanted. It's like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how do you even how do you get there? I just I don't understand it. And again, it exists on the left. I really I don't think I know any sort of conservative types that would instantly go to, oh, you should just get rid of. Um, there's something about the nature of that ideology that will just delete a human being in a heartbeat here's the here's the white pill in that circumstance since that's supposed to be the episode's focus (laughs) is that because we're not doing that here in the u.s and parents are actually starting to put focus into their children that do have down syndrome for example we're seeing amazing outcomes with these kids they're able to live like rich full actualized lives maybe not in the way that full you know like you or i might do but not anywhere near the horror that they might have faced in a a state-run institution like you see all kinds of like wonderful videos like hundreds of videos i could think of especially now that i know a, a woman whose kid has down syndrome i see a lot of these videos and the attitude toward it is definitely turning around and people are saying, hey, these are members of our society. These are members of our our culture, our clan, whatever you want to call it. And they have to have a seat at the table too. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. And we should feel very good about that. And this, this concept that you talked about, um, Dent, about how they're unwanted. And even that even flies in the face of some anecdotal evidence that I have where I've known four people who decided to adopt. And when they went to adopt, they adopted 
severely Down syndrome and severely disabled children because they wanted to love those kids. And, and like, they are heroes. And But what, what you were saying is, I brought up another point. You know who I think are the true unsung heroes of the pro-life movement? Are the I, Do you know anything about in vitro fertilization? Uh, I mean, nothing, nothing in detail. Well, I know what it is. When they do the in vitro fertilization, they get the sperm, they get the eggs, they make several in, embryos, make a bunch of embryos. They implant this many, that many, etc. But a lot of times, there are probably three to four per pregnancy attempt that are put on ice and frozen forever. There is a small group of people out there that I came in, in contact with a few years ago who intentionally go to those places and adopt those embryos and the women bring them to term. My wife and I have talked about doing this in the future. But those people who 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 take that stupid, you know, if there's an embryo, you're in a uh, the, the old argument, if you're in a in IV clinic and there's a fire and you can save a toddler or a a tray of embryos, which one do you save? These people are going, yeah, both. <laughs> and they're doing it. Right. And that is freaking incredible. Yeah. Rise of the ice babies. People who adopt embryos. I mean, how incredible is that? That's super pro-life, man. I mean, if you're going to say that life begins at conception, then there it is. Yeah. Amazing. And, and, like, I, you know, I wish they wouldn't make as many in the first place, obviously. But if when they do, if there's someone there that's like, you know, I want to adopt that kid, that's freaking beautiful. So would it alleviate you at all to know that a, a, a woman oftentimes has fertilized eggs that pass oh, and no. don't adhere? No, no, it, it's, it, it, I know that. And I, it, I hate okay. it when people use okay. the argument that the, the body aborts. You, you're gonna throw I don't think that. it aborts. It's just you know. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm just saying. I don't no, like, like believe me, that. I'm going through like uh, uh, we're you know we're in the process of trying to conceive right now, and so you know if you're sticky enough, that's what they call it. If you're sticky enough <laughs> to get it to adhere, sometimes you're not sticky enough, and it goes right. through. Yeah. So you know, so like, um, but that's a very natural part of your right. uh, biological process. What you're talking about is something that's created in like a, yeah. a petri dish, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and it's just and so um, them being put. Well, and that's the thing. A lot of times, what will hmm. happen, from what I've read, is that either they'll be put on ice forever, or they'll be destroyed, or they will be used in clinical trials and experimented on, and maybe even put in vaccines. So it's like the people who will step in and say, "Hey, give me that embryo." I just I love that. That's next level in my opinion hmm. so that's i had never <laughs> ever given a passing thought to the plight of the frozen right. fertilized embryo isn't that yeah. isn't that fascinating i'm glad there are you're trapped in an like ice that. prison Forever. in a nebulous of non nebulous non-existence yeah you're the, fascinating well it's like in what made me think about that recently was i was on tiktok because i'm hip and um, a guy was talking about how his, <laughs> him and his two siblings, he and his two siblings were IV babies. And so his dad gave over his seed once. And then his brother was born. His sister was born. They were twins. 
And then they waited four years and then they had him. And so his joke was, so when people ask me how old I am, my favorite thing to say is I'm 26, but I'm 30 if you're Catholic. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> well, there are certain cultures where they don't even name you until you're 100 days uh, old because the likelihood of babies living to their first year was very slim. Right. And yeah, so That's a white uh, pill. I think it <laughs> that you, is a white you pill. You don't have to worry about that for the most part anymore yeah. unless there are extenuating circumstances. And I think it I think it's co- co- Korean. I think in in Korea like the 100 days, the first 100 days of a baby's life, um you're given a name at 100, 100 days. And that that's a big milestone because it means that you're very likely to live through your first year. I think it's China, actually. Is it China? It, yeah. I mean, somewhere over there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But when it like it's it's hard for me when I'm talking to strictly libertarians about white pills, black pills, etc. Because you know there are a lot of examples that I can give to you that I think are white pills that we're winning. That these aren't mm-hmm. insurmountable foes that we're against. But it's very easy to talk about it with Christians. Because I was talking about it with, um, Je- I think it was Jessica. But we're going to win. Like, we know this. There will be a resurrection. <laughs> there is a king. And so it's much easier for me to pull my mom out of the doom. And not use a single mm-hmm. point that I have to make to a libertarian. And that that's my preferred method is, hey, we've already won. We're good. <laughs> and I just, True. all I want is, yes, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world. There's a lot of stuff that's really horrible, really terrible, really seemingly insurmountable. But if there's anything that I can ever pass on to anyone who ever takes the time to listen to me is there is always hope. And if you're not clinging on to even the slightest amounts of hope, you're losing. You're giving into the enemy's hands. You are not you you are not fighting anymore. And that doesn't mean that if you are a prepper or if you prepare for the worst, that you are automatically a doomer. That you're automatically blackpilled. Like I said, I don't know if it was on this uh, program or another one, but la- last week at some point I said, I don't consider myself a doomsday prepper. A lot of people call me that because I do like canning and things like that. I consider doomsday preppers the people who are fighting each other at the Costco for water bottles like the day something happens. That's a you, you're prepping because it's doomsday. Yeah. You know, like storms happen all of the time. It does. It makes a lot of sense just to have some things that if a storm happens, which they do all of the time. Uh, it wouldn't hurt just to have some things. And so all I'm saying is maybe be prepared for a heavy snowstorm yeah. and, and, and no more than that. Have a gallon of water a day per person. And all you're doing by doing that is upping your chances so that, you know, if something happens, you can get yourself out of the situation to somewhere where it's safer. Because just because a storm's happening on top of you doesn't mean that it's happening all over the world. And even when there were terrible wars and terrible famines and and literal plagues that were dropping 75% of the population in some places, such as Avignon, France in 1358, not everywhere experienced that. And we have this really uh, negativity bias 
where there could be a million good things around us and that one negative thing we really, really focus on. But I would say perspective of how human beings have lived up in the past, even up into the last 30 years compared to how we live now, it's it's exponential. The fact that we're even worried about the violence that occurs between each other in the street shows that we've changed in our culture a great deal because this is something uh, I kind of think as a historian, if you had a time machine and I'm not a historian, but like a person who (laughs) studies history, I'm sorry, let me clarify. Uh, As a person who studies history, amateur historian, I think if you got into a time machine and went back in time, one thing that would shock you uh, is how much violence there was just readily everywhere. Do a little Google searching about homicide and the history of homicide, which they have been keeping track of homicides since like a thousand years ago. Like there are extensive records on homicides that occur outside of wars or state executions or anything else like that. The percentage of people who die by homicide has gone from a major cause of death to almost statistically nil. Like it's just not something that occurs very commonly in our society in most of the world now. And that is a great change from how things were, you know, 100 years ago, even down to 30 years ago when the U.S. was experiencing a crime wave. We're just as a society, things are getting better. And the further you step back and the more time you include in what you're looking at, that's so obvious that you can't be anything but white pilled. Yeah. Like we're we're doing great, guys. We're doing really good. You know, <laughs> yes, the COVID lockdown suck and the uh incipient government uh the not incipient, what's the incremental government yeah. takeover. These things they have happened in history before and they're the empire will topple and they'll start doing it all over again. But for most people, they're not living in abject poverty. They're not living in starvation. And most people have toilets. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I like mean, we should India just be thankful for that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there they are, but they're doing really good. Yeah. Like as can they just in the last five years, India is like killing it as far as getting toilets into the rural areas. And that's act that's the actual white pill. That's yeah. the real white pill right there. The less human shit is in the Gamgees <laughs> is the white pill. The less human shit. I know that's not pretty. That's in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> that unfortunately is increasing. Yeah, that's that's a sad turn of events, isn't it? But but, but it, shit is kind of like a a measure. It's a, a metric. Yeah. The the uh, uh, the amount of human shit tells you a lot about how well that society is doing. So that's, San Francisco, not so good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote yeah. you on that. It's, it's true. I stand behind that quote. No, it's a good quote. Um, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. If you like, go back. You know, all of the famous pharaohs and kings and queens and anyone, they didn't have air conditioning. So you could be poor and sitting in air conditioning right now playing Nintendo. You might not have the latest version. Right. And if you consider that just um, just safety, uh, let alone entertainment, if you consider that just from a level of safety, it's absolutely amazing what people experience these days. Um, They don't have the one thing that's missing, though, is the ability for most people to be able to um, sustain themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're living in a city, 
the the fact of the matter is that the old joke of oh the food comes from the store it is true food comes from the store that's it you're not going to go grow something so you're completely reliant on that system yeah. and i do kind of have a problem with the how hard it is to get out of that system but you still have to admit that as far as food the way it's distribu distributed and the way that people get things and then on top of that electricity a roof over your head You've got it better than like 99.999% of all humanity for all time. If you want a white, a white pill, watch that show Modern Marvels. All of the episodes are on YouTube and it goes through blow by blow each episode how the logistical world around you functions. And it is a marvelous symphony. It is a thing of beauty. The way that, I mean, my husband works in manufacturing and to the way that uh, the internet is connected is by literally shipping things like across the ocean to be developed by scientists who work together on the internet to develop, you know, new fiber optic cables and stuff like that. So we are living in this phenomenal, uh, exponential technological age. And yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing t to necessarily be sad about. The go government's come and go. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of this technology will probably make the government we have right now obsolete. And it seems like it's fighting for relevance right. more than it's um, controlling. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. trying, but it's not doing a very good job. And a lot of us are resisting it. So I think it's becoming obsolete and obviously so. GoFundMe alone proves that you don't actually need elected officials and you don't yep. need an official government. You need people who agree and then agree to move forward and fund a thing and they could fund it directly. Bureaucrats yep. don't get a cut. You know, the dirtiest guy making the bid for the contract doesn't get a cut. Um, but yeah, GoFundMe, that, that's really how governing, if you want to call it that, I mean, that's really how things could be done right now. It's how things yep. are getting done. It's amazing. You see people who are like, this family lost their home and boom, the family has $150,000 because GoFundMe- In a day. And in like a day, and it's like anything the government would have done for those people would have been minuscule compared to what people willingly uh, were able to do. I, I wonder if I wonder if certain segments of government sit back and look at uh, GoFundMe and go, hmm, like that's it's actually kind of scary, you know, for them. <laughs> they wouldn't want you to put that together. Like, wait a minute, like people could actually they could actually agree without somebody lording over them to do yep. a thing and then they could just all fund it instantly and do it because no one if they had to send someone door to door asking for money to uh, bomb yemen <laughs> no one's kicking in for that but yeah. if you're like hey we want to build a park hey we want to build a road most people are probably going to be down for that and if you can't get the money then you don't build it yeah that's just the end of the story just like anything else in the private market if you can't make the business work then it doesn't exist so if you can't raise the funding for your park, you don't get a park. If you can't raise the, the funding to bomb Yemen, which you wouldn't be able to, you don't get to bomb Yemen. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that one of the causes of the black pill and doomerism is this hyper focus on politics. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. Politics is the soul, soul killer. I think yeah. that when you're you're focused, and I don't even think you necessarily have to be blackpilled when you're looking at politics. I mean, look at the fall of the Soviet Union. 
Look at how right now, even though Biden won, he is having to go on Twitter, like I talked about earlier, and make his case for the rest of the country to get behind him like they would have several decades ago in a more cohesive fashion uh, behind the office of the presidency. But he has to make the case, we're going to help you. We're here. We're going to help. He has to continually do that because 40, yeah. 40 some odd percent of the population is like, no, fuck you. We don't want you. That's great. Yeah. Yep. And the media has been so exposed. Yeah. I mean, their skirts are over their heads and we can see everything. And it's yeah. beautiful. And that's, <laughs> that's what you have to, to grab onto. And I think, uh, Dent, you sent me a video from Tim Pool about how he's changing how he does things. And I think I watched that and I was like, oh, this is very similar. Because I've talked about very similar things, not skateboarding necessarily. We'll talk about what it is. But I talked yeah. about that somewhat with Eric July in the past, where right now the left has control of the zeitgeist. They have control of media. They have control of film, music, etc. And the the politics are downstream of culture, of course. And so that politics finally do what the people want after they've been indoctrinated to the point where they will accept it and even ask for it. And the right and libertarians and a lot of libertarians, which, you know, I don't even use that anymore, but a lot of people within our realm are so focused on the politics. They're so focused on getting the libertarian party to be something. They're fo so focused on this, that, or the other, that th so many people are ignoring the problem of culture. And like, since you really like that Tim Pool video, I... Go ahead. What was it that you loved about that? Uh, because Tim is addressing the issue and the issue is culture. Yeah. And um, he even quoted Andrew Breitbart in there, um, who's a, a personal hero of mine. I hope he's a hero of everyone. Um, but um, the fact that Tim is just doing it. Yeah. So in other words, I really like people who. Uh, well, OK, so I've, I've got a thing that I've been saying for a lot of years. You want to be smart enough to have a good idea, but you want to be dumb enough to think you can pull it off. And why I'm saying that is because a lot of people are they're intellectuals or they over intellectualize things or they think it through to the end. Right. So they go, oh, I could start this business. I could start this restaurant. And then they get to this point in their thinking where they defeat the idea. Well, somebody else could set up right down the street or somebody else could have a better price or something like that, you know, could happen. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I own and, and run my own business as well. And I clearly put myself in that camp of had a good idea, was dumb enough to think that I could pull it off. And so I'm kind of saying that about Tim Pool in that Tim's approach. You can clearly see it in the video. He's like, I'm just going to do stuff. I'm going to do skateboarding. I'm going to do videos. I'm going to do music. He's like, I don't know if you guys know this, but I write and perform music. I just posted a music, you know, a song and a video and things like that. He's just going to do it. And with Tim, the amount of followers that Tim has, I think on YouTube alone, I think Tim probably has about uh, at least a million uh, or more unique followers. I think between all three of his accounts, it, it, it could be many more. And then you look at his count on Twitter and other places like that. Tim has a following that is big enough. And that following also happens to be this 
either right or libertarian following. The the lefties, they left Tim a long time ago. Um, I think at best they think he's some kind of traitor because he used to believe what they believed and things like that. Um, so he's appealing to the right people. Guess what? He's appealing, I think, primarily to young people. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I mean, I'm 49. I'm not an old guy, but I'm not like a young kid or anything either. Yeah. And but it's people Tim's age and maybe even below that that can take action and have it be meaningful and have it uh, sort of multiply out through the generations. Um, I've watched conservative types for a long time make the argument that they have got to create their own culture. They've got to create their own media and things like that. My problem with that in particular is like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm Catholic. Okay. I don't want to watch Christian um, movies most because they're terrible. Okay. But why are they terrible? Because they, they knew at the beginning that they were going to sell you on this idea. And so they make this stinker like, you know, God's not dead. And the person oh, watching the movie. The worst. Correct. 99% right. of the people. I, I never actually watched it because my uncle and I watch a lot of movies together. And he explained it to me and he goes, oh, and I'm not telling you to watch it. Because he also knows that I don't like most Christian media because it's not entertaining. So what I don't want is, is for a group of guys to get together and say, hey, we're going to create all this conservative content. Dude, I don't even want like I don't even want libertarian content. No. Okay, I want real storytelling. I don't know if yeah. you saw this was about four or five months ago, maybe longer. But um, Rogan had a guy on his show, and the guy was you know he was a creator and, and he was involved in you know Hollywood uh, for lack of a better word, and they both said that they knew multiple people that were pitching shows and ideas and movies and things in LA and that the guy behind the desk is like, no, 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 no. But where's the diversity, right? Yes. So in other words, where, where are you selling the ideology that I have to promote? Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm, they, mm -hmm. they know people who have these awesome, I mean, characters, worlds, storylines that would be fantastic works and they couldn't get off the ground because the guy behind the desk demanded that it sell his own politics. Mm -hmm. I just want to delete that. Yeah. My brother you know? lives in Los Angeles and works for a major studio. Um, I won't say what it is because I don't feel like that's probably a good thing to do. Um, but he's he's also trying to be a writer. And one of the things he told me was that um, he he had when he was trying to write a pilot, that in order to get it even looked at, it had to have at least one gay character in it. Oh, wow. Why? It's the kind of stuff that they were talking about <laughs> with Rogan and his buddy. That it, it, the question was, where's the, where's the diversity? Yeah. Um, right. It, it, uh, it, I'm talking about my uncle again. We hang out a lot. He watched, he used to watch a lot of TV. And at one point, cause I don't really watch TV. I, um, I watch movies, but I don't watch TV series and, and I don't subscribe to cable, but he goes, Dude, if aliens came down and knew us only from watching our TV shows, they would think that it was random 50-50 shot that you were gay or straight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, and, you know, it, it's just, um, uh, again, none of us have a problem with Not gay that there's people, anything but we're talking about the... F 
Yeah, it's a little Seinfeld moment. Um, but but just that it is obviously tied to that ideology. There, the morality of the left is tied into promoting that um, as well. So that's pretty funny that you say that because it's in everything my gay friends have expressed to me that they do feel pandered to especially by like netflix has a a, a, a lesbian rom-com out I, I can't remember the title of it. it had summer in the name i think yeah. but i remember uh, a gay friend of mine saying to me she's like yeah i wish we had more gay rom-coms but not like that <laughs> and there's just like you know she definitely could tell that she felt pandered to she didn't like what they were doing and i, I don't think that um they're trying to resonate with this but they're not hitting it they're, they're it's not genuine and i think when it's not genuine it comes off as such and um just to throw it out there there are some times where they are able to sneak it into hollywood and what i mean by that is there were stories like i don't know if you guys remember the book of eli Yes. Where yeah. It was a huge Hollywood movie. It had Will Smith in it and um, the book that they Denzel. were looking for. It was uh, Denzel. Oh, it yeah. was Denzel. You're right. Oh, he was so good in that too. Oh, he was and so um, it was the Bible yeah. that they were yeah. looking for. I, I like shivered with, with goosebumps when they started reading the Bible on screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was so potent in that movie because it was this whole post-apocalyptic universe and the uh, bad guy was scared of the power that this book held. Because it gave people the idea that they were responsible for their own lives, and it was like, I mean, like I don't, I, I don't know how like how long it's been since you guys have seen that movie, but there are super libertarian themes in that in that movie about what the what the Bible actually gives to a person is that sense of themselves and um, what they are capable of, and that is antithetical to running a post apocalyptic feudalism, <laughs> unfortunately. So they were trying to take it down. Um, also, there's that movie Red Dawn, which is a very uh, conservative-themed movie that was huge in Hollywood and had a bunch of big-name actors in it. Oh, yeah. And um, what was the other thing that I mentioned before we started recording? I wanted you to remind me of it so uh, I would remember to mention it. The Powerpuff, that's right. The Powerpuff Girls, which is this kind of like, you know... Uh, girly cartoon that was on cartoon network i I think i think it had a three or four season run it was very girl oriented it was a lot of fun but the very last episode was this crazy trip and it was this it's like they all took acid or something and it was this whole anti-communism trip and i had never seen anything before it did not go with the theme of the show at all it did not make sense why this was here but i think the creator knew that they were canceling the run and thought hey i have this opportunity to sort of like implant this anti-communist message (laughs) into my into my audience but yeah it's very hard to find if you guys um happen upon the last episode of the powerpuff girls please send it to me because i i have a hard time finding it but it's really crazy i just was going to ask are you saying that it streams everywhere except that episode yeah, so um, where I have seen it wow. streaming, that episode is not included. And I think because it has a very, it's, it's not sugar-coated at all. It right. is an extreme anti-communist message. Like, there are songs. It's, it's fucking wild. You guys <laughs> do got to see it. Um, yeah, so and whenever, wherever I've seen it, both in the DVD the, the version that my, my friend had a DVD packet of it and... In a lot in a streaming version, that episode was in neither of them, so it is removed. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. That's actually a really, really funny show. It is chock full of adult pop culture references. Yep. So it it's is. one of those shows that like Disney's very good at putting adult pop culture references in their film so that you don't mind sitting there for 90 minutes with a small child because you're getting mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of stuff too that the kid somehow finds funny. Powerpuff Girls was really, really, really good about that. Some of the stuff they slipped in there was just really clever. I loved that show. I do want to... Also, Johnny Bravo was awesome, but go ahead. <laughs> I never saw that. <laughs> My kids loved Powerpuff Girls, man. It was yeah. so funny. Yeah, the characters in it are like just insanely well-developed, you know? Yep. <laughs> Mojo Jojo and all that. So great. I do want to go back to Christian movies for a second because this is one of my biggest pet peeves of all time because I studied film before I got my degree in biblical studies. So that was like screenwriting, all of that, very important to me. And so I've Mm -hmm. always hated Christian movies with the exception of The Passion of the Christ. Oh, even Bill Maher admits that that is an absolutely incredible movie. But the problem with it is my my buddy, my buddy called it the lashing of the Christ. And I was like, ooh, yeah, you're kind of (laughs) right. The the problem with Christian movies is that they they start with the message rather than the craft. And that is something Mm -hmm. that is very, very obvious from the get go. They do not know what they are doing. They only know that they want to get a message out. And I think that that is one of the major problems with conservatives, libertarians, et cetera, who want to grab onto the culture and change it is because they are leading with the message rather than the craft. There, mm-hmm. like I, there was a movie that I saw that was created by a libertarian and I didn't make it all the way through it because it was so poorly put together. Like I, I could not deal with certain aspects of what I was watching because it was they didn't know what they were doing. And that's mm-hmm. fine to not know what you're doing. But you can't expect me to push and support you when you don't lead with the craft. And so. I think that that's a real problem with people who are trying to change the culture. It's because they're trying to lead with the changes rather than leading with the story, rather than leading with the yeah. narrative. I think like people have been talking, uh, my friend uh, Halden, Halden um, has been talking about magic and how they repeat the same words. And that's what people are using right now. I would describe it as narrative, as story. People react and respond to story. That's how Mm -hmm. people are red pilled is because they see Mm -hmm. the whole story. And so when it comes to like what uh, Tim Poole said, when it comes to changing the culture, when it comes to making films, to making um, whatever, if you're wanting to grab onto this culture music, um, you can't lead with the politics. Leading with the politics, most people that follow Tim are very politically minded. But not everyone is looking for that. A lot of kids are not looking for that. They want to see cool stuff. They want to see good stories. They want to hear good music Mm -hmm. by good musicians. And so even though there are some great people out there working hard to, to spread libertarianism through their craft and doing it explicitly, 
there's a lot to be said about someone doing what they're good at and leaving breadcrumbs. So that actually makes me think of Chris Pratt. Yes. And Chris Pratt is a Christian, but he doesn't make it the forefront of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's an actor and he's good at what he does. And when he was attacked recently for being too, I guess, milk toast or not taking a a non-political, there were all of these really big name Hollywood actors who had worked with him and knew what a great guy he is coming out and being like, hey, man, this Chris Pratt's awesome. Leave him alone. Yeah. Like, so... yeah, it's it's hard and I think that alone, you know, just probably the way that Chris Pratt acts to people, if he's if he's, you know, being a Christian, hopefully, um he's awesome and people are responding to that and that itself is a conversion tool. Yes. The way that Christian people behave, you know, I I don't know how many of you know this, but I uh once considered myself an atheist for over a decade. Yeah. And something that is pivotal to my conversion experience is the way that Christian people behaved toward me, as opposed to the way that atheists behaved toward Christian people. I said, man, I am on the wrong team. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that sounds silly and and hackneyed, but it it really is part of it, like the way that we act in the world. And part of the whole white pill experience is demonstrating, you know, it says it in the Bible to, to, to walk around joyfully. Yeah. And to, to be yeah. joyful and that you're the way that you show love will bring people to Christ because they like, what are those Christians about? And that converts quite a lot of people. Well, it's like there's an old quote that is um, misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is go out into all the world and, and, and preach the gospel when necessary. Mm-hmm. Use words. Nice. I li- yeah. oh, I like that quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is that is kind of what I'm talking about with this culture thing, is I I don't want bad movies about freedom. I don't want bad movies about <laughs> all the any of the things Jesus, any of the things we Correct. care about. I don't want Correct. that because that does yes. nothing but hurt us. I want good people doing good work, making good movies that happen to have this little breadcrumb that people can follow. Which is why Mel Gibson is a rock star yeah. because the Patriot yeah. is awesome <laughs> and Passion of the Christ just, is really impactful. Just ignore that thing he said to his wife. Just, just, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, were, you were talking about how the right is uh, terrible at making um, media because they lead with the message. And the best example that I can think of, of what the left has been doing for many decades now, Dirty Dancing is a movie about abortion. When you watch Dirty Dancing, you're watching all this fun and summer action and all this kind of stuff. But one big thing happens in the movie. And that is, is that she gets an illegal back alley abortion. And that is the turn. It, it's the thing that we're supposed to carry about, the, the carry uh, uh, care about, and it's the message that we carry out of the film with us. And in fact, I had that thought for many, many years, and I Googled it some months ago and found that the person who wrote the movie purposely put that in there. I think you can find a HuffPost article about it. 
So they knew that they were selling abortion inside of this fun summer dirty dancing movie. That is what the left has been doing for a long, long time. Uh, I went to see Knives Out probably a year ago or something like that. And if you watch the trailer, it looks like a bunch of wacky white people. And when you watch the movie, it is about illegal immigration and about the young Hispanic girl and her family and the problem with illegal immigration. And I'm I'm not making that up. You just would have to go see the movie and you watch it turn into this fun romp and you you go, oh, now I see what you're selling me. And they turn it into illegal Hispanic immigration in the United States. And that was like a year ago. So the left is really, really good at getting you in there with that story and the characters in the universe. And then, boom, they here's what you're here for. This is the person that you're supposed to feel this certain way about when you walk out of this theater. And it happens to match their ideology, of course. They're very, very good at it. So I'm not even saying that I would want the right or libertarians to do that. I'm saying it would be great to have entertainment that was absent of trying to sell me of an ideology. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or just, I just want, if you're going to be doing that, to focus on your craft, period. That's all I want. Because well, Dirty Dancing is a great movie, <laughs> exactly, and that's 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 why I used it as an example because it is I don't a remember fantastic the abortion part at all. Oh my gosh, it's a huge it's, part. It's of the in film. the back of your brain. Yeah, I, it's. It I feel probably, like I watched that movie a ton when I was a teenager, and I don't remember that part at all. Yeah, the girl I can't I can't remember her name, but she got pregnant by one of the dance instructor guys, and um, she ended up having a back alley abortion, and it just not it, the, the whole main, thing, not not, no, not Jennifer Grey. No. Okay. Uh, all right. Another all right. girl. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a huge. It's wow. it's like a big turn. It's a big turn in the movie. It's probably at the two third point also, which is very critical. So mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. if you go back and watch it, you'll realize. And again, you can find the writer of that movie admitting that they purposely put abortion in that film. Think about how wow. many twelve year old girls watched that movie five times in the theater alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I've and, never and seen they it. and and they're. I've seen it once really or twice, good. but there it is. It's a fantastic movie. But the more I thought about it as I grew older, I was like, wow, that movie was about abortion. I thought it was yep. about pissing off your dad <laughs> by dancing with a way older guy. Go find that article on, <laughs> on HuffPost or whatever too. it was. <laughs> it was about yeah, that too. That's true. Yeah. That's why I was interested in it. <laughs> Dent, when it comes to celebrities, we talked about um, Chris Pratt, who is just a, a lovely person. And that was, okay, let, like let, let me, before I ask my question that I have in my mind, but one of the things that happened when they were getting on Chris Pratt's case was I think um, even Mark Ruffalo, who seems to be an awful human being in real life. Um, yes. Uh, what's his name? RDJ. All the people came out and said, no, he's a good yeah. guy. Leave him alone. And then people on Twitter were like, where were you guys when people were jumping on um, Allison? Not Allison. Allison Brie's the good looking one. Uh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Yes. Brie Larson right. sucks, yeah. though, because yeah. she, she sucks. Does. Well, that's yeah. the thing. She's not a good person. She sucks. And if you look at any yeah. any, any um, uh, interview with her and her MCU co-stars, no one seems to want to be there with her. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, one difference with Brie Larson is Brie Larson was attacked by people that she was talking about. Yes. Like she was yes. talking about these middle aged white guys and all this kind of stuff. 
she was making an issue towards other people. Whereas all Pratt wanted to do was like, hey, guys, I'm not going to go to your Democratic Party fundraiser. And that was the thing that everybody blew up over was that they knew that he was missing from the cast from Marvel at a Joe Biden fundraiser. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it was his inaction. So they were attacking him for his inaction. But Brie Larson, if you go back and look at those comments, you could see where, again, a lot of anybody to the right of Karl Marx and, and probably just a lot of white middle aged guys in general would have been like, what's with this chick? She's terrible. And I hate to say it, but on top of that, she she's just not compelling at all. I mean, Captain Marvel just movie. she came across as like oh a God. snarky, like a snarky college chick. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be like the, you know, the the craziest badass from the Marvel Universe. And this is what you're going to give me like she didn't sell it at all. It was really terrible. Yeah. Well, and it was also so there was nothing written. redeeming. Yeah, there were some really interesting themes that they could have explored more in that movie that they just didn't like the anti-imperialist theme that's in that movie would be much more interesting if they put more weight on that rather than on uh, stealing and beating, steal, uh, beating up a guy and stealing his bike because he said smile. Like, <laughs> yeah, but so let me just, so since you, okay, Dan, are you trying to tell me that Brie Larson was asking for it? Is this victim blaming? Yes. <laughs> so when it comes to actors, uh, who gets a pass from you, Dent? Wow. There are a few. Um, I have to say, top of mind, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Aww, I've been told I look so like him cute. so much. Zach Galifianakis. So but if you know his politics... You're horrified. You're just like, okay. Aww. I mean, he's you know he's he's going to fundraisers to help more abortions to happen. You know, he, he's just all of this like incredible far left stuff. Granted, anymore he's not very active on social media, so you probably would have to sort of look for him to find that kind of stuff. But that dude is a huge committed lefty, and I'm sorry, everything that he does is just magical. I mean, his his old stand-up stuff, the movie roles that he's played, the stuff that he's done with Tim and Eric, which, by the way, so Tim Heidecker would be another one that if you follow Tim and Eric and, and you always love those guys like 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 I did, and then if you follow Tim Heidecker on Twitter, um, go ahead and unfollow him if you're to the <laughs> if you're anywhere on the right or or a, a libertarian type, if you want to just keep enjoying watching Tim and Eric, because he's just one of these horrible. He's just sort of this bomb throwing, you know, uh, type from the left. And um, but but the stuff that they did, I don't know if you guys ever watched Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Great job. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen every episode multiple times. Uh, I used to sit there and, and program like an old, uh, you know, H uh, hard drive recorder and burn them onto DVDs and stuff. <laughs> I absolutely love that show. So yeah, Heidecker gets a big uh, uh, pass for me as well. You mentioned Robert Downey Jr. a minute ago. I think he's actually a pretty centrist kind of yeah, guy. It, um, really, I just think Mark Ruffalo's awful. Right, and Ruffalo gets no pass for me because, no. again, he takes direct aim, like Brie Larson did. He takes direct aim at anybody who disagrees with him. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I would never give a guy like that a pass, but... Um, 
yeah, those guys, those guys come to mind pretty quickly. Oh, Paul Rudd. When Paul Rudd started doing the whole wear the mask thing like a couple of months ago, dude, I just had to hit. I was like, I was like, backspace, backspace. Like I I have to. (laughs) I, I love Paul Rudd. Everything Paul Rudd has done is just magic. And here he is like trying to buddy up with Cuomo and tell you to wear a mask. And I'm like, dude, no, 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 no. Don't do it. I love you, man, is a fantastic movie. It and is, if you haven't it, seen it's, it, it's like a it's like a perfect comedy. I like it because yeah. it. I like comedies that have heart and a lot of good one liners. Mm. And uh, that whole crew of guys making those movies have been always been really good at uh, doing off the cuff one liners while they're making the film. Like Ricky Bobby, yeah, to me is uh, Talladega Nights <laughs> is like the perfect comedy. Oh, by the way, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, they would be other lefties. That I just have to look the other way because of their the work that they've done is so fantastic. And I I guess they're not as directly offensive in a lot of ways as some of these other people. But trust me, they're they're committed lefties. In fact, which I think this is actually kind of awesome. There's deleted scenes from that Talladega Nights movie with them both. They're like totally uh doing like an anti-Republican, but it was anti-Republican in the vein of George W. Bush. Um, so, you know, you have to admit as a libertarian, whatever you want to call us, um, that that's, you know, that's actually pretty cool, you know, looking back on it. But uh, uh, yeah, those guys come to mind pretty quickly. Just, I love their work too much. I can't delete them. I think, I think for me, the chief among them would probably be Larry David. Um, everything Larry David does, especially like Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. is straight comedic genius. The best episode of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is in season eight. It's called Palestinian Chicken. If you don't watch any other episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, watch the Palestinian Chicken episode. It's amazing. But he is a huge lefty. I probably wouldn't get along with his politics at all, but he is still a comedic genius. Um, also, Danny DeVito. I love Danny DeVito. I would probably kill for Danny DeVito. Like, I love him. He's my favorite comedian. So um, that's just my weird, bizarre nature. He 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 strikes my type of humor directly on the head. So he can say whatever stupid thing he wants to. He made death to Smoochie. So <laughs> I'm forever grateful to him. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I'm, I'm only going to interrupt you for just a second. Rob Reiner. Dude, Rob Reiner has made some of the greatest films of my generation. Spinal. He's Tap. such an asshole on Twitter, though. <laughs> he is. So he's one of those people that you should just unfollow. But I've actually tweeted uh, out probably a half dozen times in the past couple of years. Well, he made Spinal Tap. You know, it's like that's it. But that's just amazing. You know, and so again, I look at his body of work and then I look at him as a person. And I go. I just will. I'll just cover my eyes and not look at you as a person. Anyway, Rob he's Ryan. got those tweets turned up to eleven. That's what he's got. He he does. He <laughs> dials it out there, and he goes full conspiracy. Um, Rob uh, Reiner like goes further than like Alex Jones. Also, Bette Midler is not okay. Like I don't like her at all. Speaking, no, she is no not pass. okay. That woman is like a full on mental case. Yeah, like, no, no pass she, for me. Yeah. yeah. So, like, my passes would be um, Charlie Day. 
<gasps> love Charlie. Oh, I love Charlie. Um, oh, he's the best. And, yeah, he gets a pass. And I've had to give him a pass in the past, but Mel Gibson is so good at what he does. Like, like you cannot watch that man cry on screen without crying yourself. No, you can't. Like, oh my it, god, oh. And the Patriot was so good. Oh, um. <laughs> There was another one, and my my mind has forgotten who it was, but definitely Charlie Day and Mel Gibson, just just good stuff. Good picks, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, it's just it's funny though. I mean, if you if you went through Hollywood and just started saying, "Hey, what are the politics of all these people?" If you decided not to like them because of their politics, you wouldn't like anyone. I mean, who would really be left? Kelsey, can Grammer we appreciate? how rob schneider was red pilled by natalie Denelition's tit pics like what i just want i just know he was on tom yeah. woods recently yeah he was he yeah. was but he was brought into the liberty fold by natalie Denelition, who has a really good way of like melding rothbardian politics and misesian politics with cleave pics yeah and they're very tasteful <laughs> don't get me wrong i'm not hating on them at all but like it's like you pull them in and then you hit him with the Rothbard. And I think that's a fantastic sales method. And now we got Rob Schneider, who was on Tom Woods yesterday. So I yeah. listened to it this morning and it was so good. And, oh, um, awesome. and, and, and he's just so, um, wow. I mean, I would say that he's like 5% off from just any of us sitting here, to yeah. tell you the truth. That very small differences, I would say. I yeah. have never watched him in a movie and not laughed. Like, yeah. so he's yeah. great. Yeah. Underappreciated. I, I loved when he was talking about the old bit that he did about you put your weed in it. Um, he talks about that on Tom's show. And it's such a good bit. And um, that was his thing. That was one of the characters that he created and then got it aired. Was that was that character? That's mm -hmm. definitely one of the more memorable, memorable SNL things that he did. But boy, his talk with Tom, if people haven't heard it, they really need to go check out uh that episode it is fantastic i'm looking forward to it <laughs> um so one of the things that i wanted to bring up specifically for um jessica was i was having a conversation earlier today and there was this photo that was sent out by someone on twitter and it showed one of the um the squares the uh political compasses and it had on okay. the political compass, it didn't have Rothbard, it didn't have Ron Paul, it, it had, it did have um, Von Mises, and it had Kropotkin, and it had um, Emma Goldman, and uh, uh, whatever, Noam Chomsky, etc. And a guy said, how is, um, how is Kropotkin uh, less authoritarian than Ludwig Von Mises? Or, or and then he was like, especially Emma Goldman, and I'm like, well, because Emma Goldman was an anarchist, Ludwig von Mises, no matter how good he did, which he's great, thank thank God mm -hmm. for Ludwig von Mises, wasn't. He sure. he was a statist, yeah. so of course he's going to be a little bit higher than Emma Goldman, and so when I said, oh well, Emma Goldman's an anarchist, he goes, an ancom. Correct. 
That's so cringy, man. That really makes me cringe. Yeah, it's unfortunate because people have an archetype in their head. So they hear communist and they go right to Trotsky or they go right to Stalin or whoever, Lenin, whoever their communist archetype is. Yeah. And uh, they've never picked up the conquest of bread and read it and realized, oh, gee, I actually agree with like 75% of what this dude is saying. He correctly identifies most of the problems with the state. Uh, some of his words agree in tandem with Rothbard's. So, you know, to... I know it's a very popular thing, especially on Liberty Twitter, to uh, say that one cannot be an anarchist and a communist because who enforces the communism? And yeah, that's both a great joke and a great point. But at the same time, you know, you have to recognize that these people are almost all of the way there. They have different solutions than you do, but they've correctly identified many of the same problems. And so I, you know, I'm not a bottom unity person, I'm not but yeah, but because the, the minute you, you do that, they're going to, you know, turn around and stab you in the back. Look what happened to Trotsky. But uh, at the same time, you know, Kropkin was definitely less of an authoritarian than Roth, uh, than Mises. Yeah. And um, to have proper understanding of the philosophy that you're supposedly touting, you should probably understand where where you fall yeah. in terms of if you think that there should be some government, you're more of an authoritarian than an anarchist. Right. And there can so, be anarcho communes that are voluntary. Sure. Completely. That are voluntary. That is Absolutely. a very real thing and something we could we should recognize is anarchist and that we don't have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the absolute control over who calls themselves an anarchist. So Kropkin uh, grew up in a, a wealthy family. And um, was set up to be the kind of person who had a lot of power and rejected his role in, in, in the society he grew up in and was jailed for it for, I think, 13 or 14 years. He spent in jail because he didn't want to rule over other people. So I don't think, you know, primarily the thing to understand about Kropkin is that he, you know, is is communist. I think the primary thing to understand about Kropkin is that he's an anarchist. Yeah. And, you know, you can take from Kropkin the good points and leave the bad points. You don't have to take the work and swallow the whole thing. Yeah. You can take what's good and leave the rest. I mean, you can do that. You can do that with Rothbard. You do that with Mises. That's sort of what an intelligent person does with new ideas. So, well, and, yeah. and not to mention, like, Emma Goldman was an anarchist. She hung around with the people who did who set up the Haymarket affair. She's she knew <laughs> she was not she wasn't friends with, but she knew the guy who killed um, the president. Was it McKinley? Who shot him? I'm not sh- like I'm not I'm not sure. But she, I mean, she was around the people who I think some anarchists really wish they could be the ones who directly mm-hmm. go after the rulers who have. Um, violated the non-aggression principle and so it's like saying that she's not an anarchist because she has a different economic philosophy Mm -hmm. i don't i just feel like that's dumb anarchism comes from left-wing philosophy it does so does libertarian philosophical underpinnings come from left-wing philosophy so you know the, the problem i think is a lack of historical perspective that people only, like I said, have that archetypal vision of the Stalinist communist. 
Yeah. And you know, I have I'm I'm I consider myself an ANCAP and I have very good friends who are communists. Yeah. And we definitely argue with each other about what we think the best way to solve human problems are, but we almost always agree on what the problems are. Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing to note. With that, I think we're going to end this show. Um if you want to find Mr. Dent you can find him on Twitter at Dent in the World. And if you want to buy a microphone, you can go to zenproaudio.com and get a, right. get set up like a badass. So that's what you want. Um, if you want to find Miss Jessica Green, who is tops, the best, you can go on Twitter at, and, and search for Libertarian Don't Kitchen. Don't lie to them. And, or if you want to type it out yourself, it's L-I-B-T-K-I-T-W-I-T-C-H. Lipped Witch, because I like yes. to make sure people know where to find you. Sovereign Cookies on Instagram. See your beautiful paintings. Um, it's Sovereign Cookies art yeah. at Instagram. Oh, I added art. You added art. Yeah, so people would know what they. Yeah, so they would know what they were getting. All the art accounts on Instagram have art at the end. So I'm joining. I'm being trendy. Nice. <laughs> I just want people to be able to find my account for what it's for, and it's for watercolor paintings. So <laughs> if you want anything else from me, don't go there. She also has a YouTube channel and mm -hmm. a blog. I don't update it. All of that. I don't update it. She doesn't update it. She does it every now and then. I don't have. <laughs> when she wants to. But I'll put all that in, in my show notes. So if you want to find that, go down there and click. I'll also have the link for uh, Zen Pro Audio, which I don't have a promo code for. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Um <laughs> I'm not a promo code guy. We're, you know, I'm the owner. I've got one employee, so this is a two-man show. Um, we do package deals and things like that for people all the time, but we're definitely not one of the sort of box store discounter types. So. You don't have a Tom Woods code that I will get 20% off if I type Woods? You can't type in Malice 20 and get 20% <laughs> off your order? crazy. Get some sheath underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Sheathunderwear.com. <laughs> Intercode I'm Malice fascinated 20. by the double pocket. I, want I don't it. have the equipment to try it out, but I think that that's an innovation. I want Am I right? It. Yeah, yeah, I got to try it at some point. Keep them separate. <laughs> A nice cotton barrier. <laughs> All right. With that, is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Any last thoughts, any encouragement, any final white pills to leave on the table? Be excellent to each other. Yeah. That's a good one. Mine is be a helper. I think that the world will be changed on the individual level. I think it will be changed through example. And I think it will be changed through who you are to other people. And so if you get a chance to help someone you know, a stranger, whoever, and it and you can do it without hurting yourself. Do it. If you want to do it, even though it does hurt you a little bit, do it. OK, I think I have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing that you can do in terms of fighting the government is to keep yourself healthy hmm. because your health and your longevity is something that they're actively working against and can make a lot of money off of your illness. So the healthier you keep yourself, the worse it is for them. So your health is 
the destruction of the state. Can we please make that a major topic next time? Because I have quite a journey. Absolutely. Um, from being pre-diabetic and things like that. Um, and I would love to discuss that at length uh, concerning diet, um, exercise, and fasting. Absolutely. And the way that the state has destroyed the health of the population of this country. The, the, you could just start the, start the topic off by discussing the food pyramid, and we will end up covering everything. <laughs> yep. That sounds like fun. Uh, yep. Thank you, Dent. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you, everyone, thank for you. listening. And as always, for God's sake, try to stay sane. The paradigm of absolute control. And that's why we're just out here doing simple things, pointing out that we're meant to be in nature and be natural. And this is where we find the source that God made to transcend the new world order. And that's why they want to try to keep us out of it. I'm angry. I've had enough of these people. They're a bunch of Christian murderers gone. They're on giant death factories keeping babies alive. And selling their body parts. What more do you need to know about these people? I go out and face these scones They literally crawl out from under rocks They have green looking skin And they run around screaming We love Satan, we wanna eat babies I have them on video Hillary's in the creepy weird six of man She sleeps in the same room with that creepy weirdo woman whose mother wears a hood over her head. That woman number one is ugly. Imagine how bad she smells, man. I'm told her and Obama just stink. Obama and Hillary both smell like sulfur. Spirit gets close to that evil and I feel it go Ah, ah, ah We're such self-centered crap We don't even notice and it's self rising up against us Millions upon it, people of the very worst type And I'm so pissed We're gonna stab your daughter I was watching Fox News as I worked out this morning.